Chapter Twenty, Part One of the Filigree Ball by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Twenty, The Colonel's Own, Part One. Words cannot express the tediousness of that return journey the affair which occupied all my thoughts was as yet too much enveloped in mystery for me to contemplate it with anything but an anxious and inquiring mind while i clung with new and persistent hope to the thread which had been put in my hand i was too conscious of the maze through which we must yet pass before the light could be reached to feel that lightness of spirit which in itself might have lessened the hours and made bearable those days of forced inaction to beguile the way a little i made a complete analysis of the facts as they appeared to me in the light of this latest bit of evidence the result was not strikingly encouraging yet i will insert it if only in proof of my diligence and the extreme interest i experienced in each and every stage of this perplexing affair it again took the form of a summary and read as follows facts as they now appear one the peremptory demand for an interview which had been delivered to miss moore during the half-hour preceding her marriage had come not from the bridegroom as i had supposed but from the so-called stranger mr pfeiffer two her reply to this demand had been an order for that gentleman to be seated in the library three the messenger carrying this order had been met and earnestly talked with by mr jeffrey either immediately before or immediately after the aforementioned gentleman had been so seated for death reached mr pfeiffer before the bride did five miss moore remained in ignorance of this catastrophe till after her marriage no intimation of the same having been given to her by the few persons allowed to approach her before she descended to her nuptials yet she was seen to shrink unaccountably when her husband's lips touched hers and when informed of the dreadful event before which she beheld all her guests fleeing went from the house a changed woman Six for all this proof that mr pfeiffer was well known to her if not to the rest of the bridal party no acknowledgment of this was made by any of them then or afterward nor any contradiction given either by husband or wife to the accepted theory that this seeming stranger from the west had gone into this fatal room of the moors to gratify his own morbid curiosity seven on the contrary an extraordinary effort was immediately made by mr jeffrey to rid himself of the only witness who could tell the truth concerning those fatal ten minutes but this brought no peace to the miserable wife who never again saw a really happy moment 
eight extraordinary efforts at concealment argue extraordinary causes for fear fully to understand the circumstances of mrs jeffrey's death it would be necessary first to know what had happened in the moore house when mr jeffrey learned from curly jim that the man whose hold upon his bride had been such that he dared to demand an interview with her just as she was on the point of descending to her nuptials had been seated or was about to be seated in the room where death had once held its court and might easily be persuaded to hold court again this was the limit of my conclusions i could get no further and awaited my arrival in washington with the greatest impatience but once there and the responsibility of this new inquiry shifted to broader shoulders than my own i was greatly surprised and as deeply chagrined to observe the whole affair lag unaccountably and to note that in spite of my so-called important discoveries the prosecution continued working up the case against miss tuttle in manifest intention of presenting it to the grand jury at its fall sitting whether durbin was to blame for this i could not say certainly his look was more or less quizzical when next time we met and this nettled me so that i at once came to the determination that whatever was in his mind or in the minds of the men whose counsels he undoubtedly shared i was going to make one more great effort on my own account not to solve the main mystery which had passed out of my hands but to reach the hidden cause of the equally unexplained deaths which had occurred from time to time at the library fireplace for nothing could now persuade me that the two mysteries were not indissolubly connected or that the elucidation of the one would not lead to the elucidation of the other to be sure it was well accepted at headquarters that all possible attempts had been made in this direction and with nothing but failure as a result the floor the hearth the chimney and above all the old settee had been thoroughly searched but to no avail the secret had not been reached and had almost come to be looked upon as insolvable but i was not one to be affected by other men's failures the encouragement afforded me by my late discoveries was such that i felt confident that nothing could hinder my success save the necessity of completely pulling down the house besides all investigation had hitherto started if it had not ended in the library i was resolved to begin work in quite a different spot i had not forgotten the sensations i had experienced in the southwest chamber during my absence this house had been released from surveillance but the major still held the keys and i had no difficulty in obtaining them 
the next thing was to escape its owner's vigilance this i managed to do through the assistance of jinny and when midnight came and all lights went out in the opposite cottage i entered boldly upon the scene as before i went first of all to the library it was important to know at the outset that this room was in its normal condition but this was not my only reason for prefacing my new efforts by a visit to this scene of death and mysterious horror i had another so seemingly puerile that i almost hesitate to mention it and would not if the sequel warranted its omission i wished to make certain that i had exhausted every suspected as well as every known clue to the information i sought in my long journey home and the hours of thought it had forced upon me i had more than once been visited by flitting visions of things seen in this old house and afterward nearly forgotten among these was the book which on that first night of hurried search had given proofs of being in some one's hand within a very short period the attention i had given it at a moment of such haste was necessarily cursory and when later a second opportunity was granted me of looking into it again i had allowed a very slight obstacle to deter me this was a mistake i was anxious to rectify anything which had been touched with purpose at or near the time of so mysterious a tragedy and the position of this book on a shelf so high that a chair was needed to reach it proved that it had been sought and touched with purpose held out the promise of a clue which one on so blind a trail as myself could not afford to ignore but when i had taken the book down and read again its totally uninteresting and unsuggestive title and by another reference to its dim and faded leaves found that my memory had not played me false and that it contained nothing but stupid and wholly irrelevant statistics my confidence in it as a possible aid in the work i had in hand departed just as it had on the previous occasion i was about to put it back on the shelf when i bethought me of running my hand in behind the two books between which it had stood ah that was it another book lay flat against the wall at the back of the shelf and when by the removal of those in front i was enabled to draw this book out i soon saw why it had been relegated to such a remote place of concealment on the shelves of the moore library it was a collection of obscure memoirs written by an english woman but an english woman who had been in america during the early part of the century and who had been brought more or less into contact with the mysteries connected with the moore house in washington 
several pages were marked one particularly by a heavy pencil line running the length of the margin as the name of moore was freely scattered through these passages as well as through two or three faded newspaper clippings which i discovered pasted on the inside cover i lost no time in setting about their perusal the following extracts are from the book itself taken in the order in which i found them marked it was about this time that i spent a week in the moore house that grand and historic structure concerning which and its occupants so many curious rumours are afloat i knew nothing then of its discreditable fame but from the first moment of my entrance into its ample and well-lighted halls i experienced a sensation which i will not call dread but which certainly was far from being the impulse of pure delight which the graciousness of my hostess and the imposing character of the place itself were calculated to produce this emotion was but transitory vanishing as was natural in the excitement of my welcome and the extraordinary interest i took in callista moore who in those days was a most fascinating little body small to the point of appearing diminutive and lacking all assertion in manner and bearing she was nevertheless such a lady that she easily dominated all who approached her and produced quite against her will i am sure an impression of aloofness seasoned with kindness which made her a most surprising and entertaining study to the analytic observer her position as nominal mistress of an establishment already accounted one of the finest in washington the real owner reuben moore preferring to live abroad with his french wife gave to her least action an importance which her shy if not appealing looks and a certain strained expression most difficult to characterize vainly attempted to contradict i could not understand her and soon gave up the attempt but my admiration held firm and by the time the evening was half over i was her obedient slave i think from what i know of her now that she would have preferred to be mine i was put to sleep in a great chamber which i afterward heard called the colonel's own it was very grand and had a great bed in it almost royal in its size and splendour i believe that i shrank quite unaccountably from this imposing piece of furniture when i first looked at it it seemed so big and so out of proportion to my slim little body but admonished by the look which i surprised on mistress callista's high-bred face i quickly recalled an expression so unsuited to my position as guest and with a 
gush of well-simulated rapture began to expatiate upon the interesting characteristics of the room and express myself as delighted at the prospect of sleeping there instantly the nervous look left her and with the quiet remark it was my father's room she set down the candles with which both her hands were burdened and gave me a kiss so warm and surcharged with feeling that it sufficed to keep me happy and comfortable for a half hour or more after she passed out i had thought myself a very sleepy girl but when after a somewhat lengthened brooding over the dying embers in the open fireplace i lay down behind the curtains of the huge bed i found myself as far from sleep as i had ever been in my whole life and i did not recover from this condition for the entire night for hours i tossed from one side of the bed to the other in my efforts to avoid the persistent eyes of a scarcely to be perceived drawing facing me from the opposite wall it had no merit as a picture this drawing but seen as it was under the rays of a gibbous moon looking in through the half-open shutter it exercised upon me a spell such as i cannot describe and hope never again to experience finally i rose and pulled the curtains violently together across the foot of the bed this shut out the picture but i found it worse to imagine it there with its haunting eyes peering at me through the intervening folds of heavy damask than to confront it openly so i pushed the curtains back again only to rise a half-hour later and twitch them desperately together once more i fidgeted and worried so that night that i must have looked quite pale when my attentive hostess met me at the head of the stairs the next morning for her hand shook quite perceptibly as she grasped mine and her voice was pitched in no natural key as she inquired how i had slept i replied as truth if not courtesy demanded not as well as usual whereupon her eyes fell and she remarked quite hurriedly i'm so sorry you shall have another room to-night adding in what appeared to be an unconscious whisper there's no use all feel it even the young and the gay then aloud and with irrepressible anxiety you didn't see anything dear no i protested in suddenly awakened dismay only the strange eyes of that queer drawing peering at me through the curtains of my bed is it is it a haunted room her look was a shocked one her protest quite vehement oh no no one has ever witnessed anything like a ghost there but every one finds it impossible to sleep in that bed or even in the room 
i do not know why unless it is that my father spent so many weary years of incessant wakefulness inside its walls and did he die in that bed i asked she gave a startled shiver and drew me hurriedly downstairs as we paused at the foot she pressed my hand and whispered yes at night with the full of the moon upon him i answered her look with one she probably understood as little as i did hers i had heard of this father of hers he had been a terrible old man and had left a terrible memory behind him the next day my room was changed according to her promise but in the light of the charges i have since heard uttered against that house and the family who inhabit it i am glad that i spent one night in what if it was not a haunted chamber had certainly a very thrilling effect upon its occupants second passage the italics showing where it was most heavily marked the house contained another room as interesting as the one i have already mentioned it went by the name of the library and its walls were heavily lined with books but the family never sat there nor was i ever fortunate enough to see it with its doors unclosed except on the occasion of the grand reception mistress callista gave in my honour i have a fancy for big rooms and more than once urged my hostess to tell me why this one stood neglected but the lady was not communicative on this topic and it was from another member of the household i learned that its precincts had been for ever clouded by the unexpected death within them of one of her father's friends a noted army officer why this should have occasioned a permanent disuse of the spot i could not understand and as every one who conversed on this topic invariably gave the impression of saying less than the subject demanded my curiosity soon became too much for me and i attacked miss callista once again in regard to it she gave me a quick smile for she was always amiable but shook her head and introduced another topic but one night when the wind was howling in the chimneys and the sense of loneliness was even greater than usual in this great house we drew together on the rug in front of my bedroom fire and as the embers burned down to ashes before us miss callista became more communicative her heart was heavy she told me had been heavy for years perhaps some ray of comfort would reach her if she took a friend into her confidence god knew that she needed one especially on nights like this when the wind woke echoes all over the house and it was hard to tell which most to fear the sounds which came from no one knew where or the silence which settled after 
she trembled as she said this and instinctively drew nearer my side so that our heads almost touched over the flickering flame from whose heat and light we sought courage she seemed to feel grateful for this contact and the next minute flinging all her scruples to the wind she began a relation of events which more or less answered my late unwelcome queries the death in the library about which her most perplexing memory hung took place when she was a child and her father held that high governmental position which has reflected so much credit upon the family her father and the man who thus perished had been intimate friends they had fought together in the war of eighteen twelve and received the same distinguishing marks of presidential approval afterward they were both members of an important commission which brought them into diplomatic relations with england it was while serving on this commission that the sudden break occurred which ended all intimate relations between them and created a change in her father that was equally remarked at home and abroad what occasioned this break no one knew whether his great ambition had received some check through the jealousy of his so-called friend a supposition which did not seem possible as he rose rapidly after this or on account of other causes darkly hinted at by his contemporaries but never breaking into open gossip he was never the same man afterwards his children who used to rush with effusion to greet him now shrank into corners at his step or slid behind half-open doors whence they peered with fearful interest at his tall figure pacing in moody silence the halls of his ancestral home or sitting with frowning brows over the embers dying away on the great hearthstone of his famous library their mother who was an invalid did not share these terrors the father was ever tender of her and the only smile they ever saw on his face came with his entrance into her darkened room End of chapter 20 part 1